not working. No. Ricky, is it working? Okay, good. All right. So, this is the Ask the Pastor sermon. In a moment, I'll um, give you the passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Our moderator, Annie Baldwin, has been sifting through your questions, looking for the easiest ones possible. And, and I'll answer a couple, three, depending on the time. We have about 15 minutes or so. But let me first offer you then this passage. Paul wrote to the church in Colossia these words. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassion, kindness, meekness, and patience. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. For just as God has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And may these words which once transform the disciples' hearts transform our hearts as well. There's an old saying from a poet, which is to love the faith is to love the questions. You've heard me probably say this before, but Jesus was not really an answer man. In the Gospels, Jesus only answers roughly seven or eight questions. It sort of depends on, on how you, you look at those questions. But only seven or eight questions does he actually answer. When he's asked questions, as a good Jewish rabbi would, he asks questions back. So Jesus answers seven or eight and asks of us, and asks of himself, over 300 questions. So it's really the questions that matter more than the responses I'm going to give because the questions sort of will surely speak for others as well. And it's in the long run how we respond to those questions together as a congregation that really makes us into a family of faith. So, Amy. So first I'll say thank you for doing this. Um, I know a lot of us look forward to this every year and I'll say I'm a little nervous about asking the questions, so I'd imagine answering the questions is quite a bit infinitely harder. Oh, okay. <laughs> so here we go. Um, so the first question, you answered this a little bit already, but why do you do this? Well, that, uh, why do I do this is a great question, partly because over time people ask me lots of questions and say, boy, I wish you'd preach on this. Sometimes they've asked me questions about uh, issues in society, which I think are, are sometimes better addressed in conversation. This isn't exactly a conversation, but this is more, you're asking a question, I'm responding. It's sort of conversation-like. So it's mostly an opportunity for you to shape the sermon, but I really do believe what I just said is that the questions are what matter. And, you know, for putting in a good word for institutions, it's together that we enrich each other's faith and deepen it. We have a wide per theological perspective, wide understandings of who Jesus is, but it's together that by sharing those, exchanging those in conversation, that we enrich one another's faith. We say to every new member class when they join, don't leave behind what you've learned, but bring the best, bring the best of what you've discovered, share it with us. We'll try to share the best that we know with you and together will grow in faith. So that's why I do it. And yes, it actually started out like 20 years ago because I was coming back from vacation and I didn't have time to write a sermon. But it's turned out to be a really um, good experience. Okay, so we'll start with an easy one. Uh, have you ever been a guest pastor at a different church like we had here last week? 
Uh, yes, I have preached um, at, a, at a variety of different churches. Oftentimes, I've preached, been invited to preach at the installation or the ordin or ordinations. The installation of peers, I've probably preached at seven, eight, nine pastors who are being installed as senior pastors in their congregation. And the tradition is you bring a guest preacher. So I've preached at a lot of my colleagues' installations. I've preached um, some Sunday mornings uh, when I've been... Um, uh, able to do so, which isn't all that often. And so I do. I love engaging other congregations. And I'm just going to say this. None of them are as good as this congregation. <laughs> just saying. So that should mitigate any questions that may be hard because sure. I don't want to make some. All right. So the next one is, can God know the future? Or is God ever present with us, inviting us to work toward the best unfolding of creation, always knowing all the possible outcomes of our choices? So at the, at the root is, can God know the future? Does God know the future? Yes, maybe, and I don't know. <laughs> and I don't mean to be flip, but there are sort of three, for a couple thousand years of theology, descriptions of God as omnipotent, all-powerful. I'm, I'm not sure that is nearly as common now of a thought, but it was for you know, centuries that God is all-powerful, all things are controlled by God, that with the Enlightenment began to be questioned a great deal. God is, God is omniscient, all-knowing about when we say, for instance, in Joys and Concerns, God knows the joys, the hurts that are on our hearts. They may be spoken or unspoken, but God knows them. Omniscient, all-knowing, and then omnipresent everywhere. Um, but it's always been a debate as to whether omniscient, God all-knowing, is about God knows all of our needs right now, or does God know the future? So, you know, this has been an eternal question, and Scripture is not always fully clear about this, because much of Jesus, much of Jesus' teachings are about now, about the, but also about the kingdom of God. Jesus oftentimes says the kingdom of God is like, and then he goes on to tell a parable. The kingdom of God is like a son who goes off to a far land and comes back and is welcomed home by a loving parent despite that child's mistakes. The kingdom of God is like that. So even Jesus use, uses similes to describe what the future might be like. So one of the answers is yes, we know that the future is one of justice and love and mercy. Does God know, for instance, what might have been a belief, um, especially um, in, in the earliest days of the church, not in the earliest days, but the book of life, does God know the day that our life will end? Is it written before it begins? I don't, for my own faith, that's not important for me to believe. It just isn't central to what I believe. What is central is that I do believe that we continue to work towards and serve towards the kingdom, towards it, meaning the future, not knowing exactly what it will look like, but also that God does know in this moment what our hearts, desires, grief, hurts, knows them all and seeks to heal them. So the answer is yes, maybe, and I'm not sure. But for me, it's not central to my faith to believe that God has already written out the future. In fact, Martin Luther, during the Reformation, um, 
was asked a question, it's maybe apocryphal in nature, asked a question by one of the seminarians who said, so, what was God doing before God created the world? And Martin Luther leaned over and said, God was creating whips and chains to punish those who asked such questions. So, I don't know who asked the question, but the point is, there is no univocal voice in scripture or in theology that says everything is already decided, because if it is, if it is, where is the free will of humanity to work for the good, to work for change? We don't need to do that if it's all laid out. Thank you. So the next question is really about pastoral care. Uh, the questioner says, I am curious about how many requests for help, prayers, and visits you get every week. How many requests for prayers, help, or, or visits do I get every week? And, and obviously my colleagues, Meredith and Catherine, um, have their own rhythms and patterns to their ministry. Um, I don't know if I've ever quantified that. And what, what I will say is that I wouldn't be surprised between visits, um, conversations that people have asked to come in and have, emails that people have asked questions, texts saying, think about my um, mother who's, who's failing or whatever it might be, probably 10 to 20 a week, um, but not 10 or 20 visits a week. Um, but what has changed dramatically in the world of pastoral care in the 35 years I've been in the ministry is that almost the vast majority of pastoral care was done 35 years ago face-to-face. -face. And people's worlds have changed and communication has improved. And there are many people who will say, um, please just respond to me by text. And they will share very thoughtful um, concerns that they may have about the church, or they may share things that are heartbreaking to them. But what is changing is that people are more comfortable, seemingly more comfortable, um, using those alternative forms of communication. And then oftentimes, um, I might encourage someone, why don't we sit down and talk face to face? So. What is the Holy Spirit, and why is it relevant to us today? What is the Holy Spirit and why is it relevant? That's a, that's a great question. So let, let me start with the Trinity. The Trinity, as you know, is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And um, the Trinity has some appearances in the New Testament, in particular in some of the letters of the early church, Paul's letters and some of the other authors. There are occasional formula, formulas of Father, Son, Holy Spirit-like in the Gospels, but it's not terribly present there. And it really, really grows out of the late first century as the church is trying to explain um, this remarkable sense of God's presence still with them and the Holy Spirit. So think about the Trinity in this way. There is Father, you might say Mother, Holy Spirit, Jesus, okay? Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father. Maybe if you're not comfortable with father or mother, you might say perfect love, perfect justice, or judgment, okay? Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus. Notice I didn't use God yet. Put God in the middle of that triangle, okay? So what the early church was trying to say is that the Holy Spirit is not the father or mother. 
But, and the father or mother, or perfect love, is not the Holy Spirit. The father or mother is not Jesus. Jesus is something like it, maybe more, maybe less in different ways. And Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. But in the middle is God. Jesus is, connect, is God. Father, mother, judgment, love is God. Holy Spirit is God. They were trying to say how their hearts continued to be strangely warmed by the presence of God 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, it's still the same thing we're trying to explain today. The Holy Spirit, for me, is the spirit of Father, Mother, Love, Justice, Jesus, that still works and calls us today to live a life as faithful Christians. So the Holy Spirit is as, and this, this by the way, became the greatest break in the history of the Christian faith. faith. It only, it happened about 150 years ago, 1,050 years ago, I'm sorry. 1,050 years ago, it was the greatest split, and it was over the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and it what split became into what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, which between the two are, you know, 10, maybe 50 times the size of the Protestant tradition worldwide, and they split because they felt the Holy Spirit was being a lesser part of the Trinity than Jesus and God. And by the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church said, the Holy Spirit is as equally important as the Father, as Jesus, because they, they all make up God. Thank you. I didn't expect that question, I'll say. <laughs> so two more questions. Um, this one's a little bit more personal. Someone <laughs> asks, Rich, as you start your 25th year as senior pastor, are you willing to share your thoughts about your future at this church? Sure. <laughs> about my future, this church, or the future of this church? Your future at this church. Okay. Of course I am. Yes, I am starting my 25th year as senior minister. I, um, I actually mentioned that on Facebook, and I was sort of overwhelmed by the number of people who commented on that. Um, I have no definitive plans for retirement yet. I would be shocked if I retired at 65, which is two years from now. Uh, I will tell you this, I have no definitive ending to my ministry. I have some thoughts, but really no plans. I love, love what I'm doing. I have a lot of energy still for what this congregation is about and where it's going and coming into a new era post-pandemic. Um, so I'm delighted. And I said on my Facebook post, I could count on one hand the number of times in the last 25 years I have awakened and not delighted to be the senior minister of this congregation. It's not always like that for all pastors. I did have one friend send me an email and said, I counted this month and needed both hands and both feet to um, count the number of times I was um, uh, not delighted. I love serving this congregation. God willing and congregation willing, hope to do it for quite some time. But I will tell you this, the retirement of a long tenured pastor um, usually takes some planning and I will give ample year and a half to two years notice to our executive committee before I, um, I am planning on retiring. But at this point, I have no particular end date in mind. I don't know if that's a delight or people are weeping right now, but um, no, 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 that's, I don't mean that, it's okay. But um, 
I am super excited to do that, but I think we need to bring it to a close because we need to now come to more important, the table. I think we're out of time and that's a great question to end. All right, thank so, you. Thank you. Rich. Thank you. Amen. So friends, we come to this table for the sacrament of communion. Today we will serve it via intinction, which means that you will come to the center aisle, make your way down, take a piece of the bread or of the cup, and there are gluten-free as well, if that's what you need for both the bread and um, the juice, and partake of the bread and the cup up here after you've received it, and then there is a receptacle for you to place the cups into. But this, friends, is the joyful feast of the people of God. Men and women, youth and children come from the north and the south, the east and the west, just as we sang at the very beginning of this service, to gather about this table. Come, though, to this table, not because you must come, but because you wish to come, to receive the presence of Christ, to receive God's love and forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we spread your table with these gifts of the earth and of our labor. We present to you our very lives this morning. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit on this bread and on this cup, on our gifts and on us. Strengthen this, your church, that it may be the champion of peace and justice in all the world, and restore the earth with your grace that is able to make all things new. Amen.